grab a Bible if you don't have it. Uh, there are Bibles in the back. I say this every week because I want you to have the word. If you leave with anything from today, um, that's the most priceless thing you can take with you. So I can get up here and talk and talk and talk, but for one, that would bore you. And for two, it can't change your life. But that this book right here most definitely can. So um, I want to encourage you, get a Bible. You'll need it today. We'll have some stuff on the screen, but not everything. Because, again, I want you to see it in your in your own hand, and then take it with you, because you've already got it there. If that's a uh, device, that's fine, doesn't matter, but just, you got to have his word some way or another. So, John is where we are today. John is the fourth book in the New Testament, so kind of all the way to the right of the Bible. Uh, not the very back, but the uh, definitely the last third for sure. Uh, when you come to the New Testament, it's the fourth one, and... Um, We've been going through this story, this this series called The Story of God. Now, it's kind of cool because we didn't intend it this way, but it just so happens that the story of God that we've been going through for more than a year, close to a year and a half, has lined itself up with this. And this is actually the best, in my opinion, uh, short of actually looking at him walking out of the grave, the best Easter message. And uh, in John chapter 3, that's where we'll be. We're still going to talk about Easter because it is Easter, but following this thread from creation to the fall of man and sin entering the world and death entering the world and the promise of God to restore his creation, to pay the debt of sinners, to restore for Eve what was lost in their sin. And we've been following that thread all the way through till we came to Messiah a few weeks ago, and now... Uh, he's kind of beginning his life. So John chapter 3, verse 16, today is how to live again. It's the name of the message, how to live again. So John chapter 3, verse 16, you probably know this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Lord, your word, as always, is the highest authority. I am privileged to hold a microphone and stand up on this little platform, but that doesn't make me the boss, and I don't ever want to be. It's your word. It's your church. It's your people. I I am part of that. I'm here to be a student of your word. I thank you for the privilege of being able to study it, but God, I, I come here to experience you through your word, and I pray you help us all own that responsibility, that we carry your word wherever we go. Lord, I ask it in Christ's name. Amen. In the 4th century B.C., one of my namesake, Alexander the Great, uh, claimed to have discovered a river that gave life. Uh, Of course, nobody ever found that river. (laughs) It was never verified, obviously. But the legend was born because of Alexander. And the legend continued and continued. And... It went down through the years, it crossed islands, it spread across the the world, really, from the Canary Islands to Japan to Polynesia, uh, moving consistently through, through England, through the Americas, until legend became that there was a fountain, a river, north of Cuba. Um, Nobody knew where, but north of Cuba. Ponce de Leon is probably the person most famous, a Spanish conquistador in the 1500s, who is made famous because of the fountain of youth. He conquered most of the Caribbean, if you know who he is. 
1513, he arrived in what's called Florida. He named it Florida, but he arrived there. But he was unsure if it was an island or more. So he started to roam around trying to figure out, is this an island or is there more to this place? And in the process, he ran into natives, uh, determined to colonize, determined to uh, find out, was this an island or more? Uh, he continued to push into battle with these natives, and ultimately they took his life, and he was killed there. Here's the truth. There is no record whatsoever of Ponce de Leon hearing about, knowing about, or planning to find a fountain of youth. That never, no, no historical record of that at all. However, a lot of other Spaniards that didn't like him, true story, did not like him, began to spread rumors about him uh, being unable to find the fountain of youth and dying trying in a place called Florida. And that rumor attached and grew and grew and spread until today. If you go to St. Augustine in Florida, there's still a statue there of Ponce de Leon. And right beside him is a fountain that claims to be the fountain of youth. What's striking about that is tens of thousands of people come every year. I've seen it. I've been there. And they drink this stuff. Now, if you go over there and you put your face in it, if you can put your face in it, you're already doing well. It stinks of sulfur so bad it's not even funny. It's horrid. And people, they'll come and they drink it. Like, just to be able to, to sip it just in case, you know. Textbooks in some grade schools still teach that is historical fact that Ponce de Leon died searching for the fountain of youth. Uh, it's not true. So, why do we want that story to be true so bad? You know, uh, throughout all of human history, there's a desire to continue to live. And our aging is a reminder. And I'm 50. There's no stones being thrown here. <laughs> My grandbaby's here today. I, I, I'm saying our aging is a reminder. It's a reminder that we don't live forever. It's a reminder that death has a grip on us whether we like it or not. It does. And all of mankind dreams to be, you know, free of death, to live, to be young, to have vitality. That's, that's what we want. And listen, that's not possible from a mythical fountain. But it is possible. It is possible. That's because the fountain of youth is not a place, it's a person. It's a person. The fountain of youth is not a place, it's a person. John 4, I'm going to give you a handful of scriptures today. They'll be up here. You can write them down because I want, I'm, I want to give you some weight that you can go back and, and weigh out later. So if you're like, man, this guy don't know what he's talking about. We'll go back and look at some of these passages. So here's one to begin with. John 4, 14, Jesus said, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to what? Eternal life. Eternal life. John 4.14. Uh, here's the point to remember. I always give you guys a point to remember. Here it is. Eternal life is a gift from Christ because only Christ has the power over death. It's on the sheet. If you've got a sheet in the back, if you didn't, you can get one. But eternal life is a gift from Christ because only Christ has power over death. Quick little background on Jesus. So Jesus is born. It becomes a turning point in history, so much so that many world calendars today still reflect the birth of Christ as the turning point in history, thus A.D. and B.C. The Gospels, though, what we're looking at, these four stories of his account for, these four, how about these four, stories of his life, 
uh, they pick up and they tell more so from when he turns about 30 at his baptism, which we talked about last week, from 30 on when he begins his ministries where they pick up. He will, for three years, make disciples. Then he will go to his death, not by accident. That was the reason he came. And then he will conquer death because we can't. That's the plan. But at this point, early in his ministry, Jesus has begun to do some miracles and speak about the kingdom of God. And then we come to this moment that uh, Santana read before. John chapter 3, verse 1 says this. Now, and look at your Bible if you got one. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. So a ruler of the Jews would be like a, a religious lawyer or a religious senator. He knew God's laws, and he decided whether people were obeying them or not and what they should do if they weren't and those kind of things. He would have had scripture memorized. Point being, this guy was it with the Bible, one of them anyway. The man came to Jesus by night. Why do you think he came by night? I'm sure he had on his robes and all of his stuff. You know, He had to wear things reflecting who he was. He probably didn't want anybody to see that, right? I don't know. Did he have on an overcoat and a hoodie? I don't know, but he, he was not comfortable with people seeing him come check out Jesus. But he was so curious, he couldn't help it. He had to do it. Listen, some of y'all might be here today the same way. You need to know that's totally okay. 100% okay. Jesus is not mad about this. One tiny bit. Uh, look what he says. Verse, uh, continuing on there in verse 2. And, and he said, Rabbi, or teacher... Is he saying to Jesus, teacher, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one does the signs that you do unless God's with him. And Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. How did Nicodemus expect to see the kingdom of God? Well, based on who he was, I'm assuming he figured that his pious faith, like he was super religious and he was stout and he didn't mess up and he did his best never to screw up. He knew the word. He probably had it memorized. He obeyed the laws in the word. He had likely a lineage, like his resume, who his dad was and his dad's dad and his dad's dad. And they've been Jews forever and whatever. Like his lineage was going to carry weight. I don't know. His position. I'm not just your average Jewish guy. I'm, I'm a ruler of the Jewish people. I don't know what he thought was going to be it. But Jesus drops a bomb on him right here. Like straight grenade. Pull the pin, drop it, and walk away. Except he didn't walk away. He says, you got to be born again. Literally, it means born from above. Let me ask you something. How can that happen? Or let me put it this way. How can you make that happen? Now, you just told him that, right? You can't see the kingdom of heaven unless you're born from above. How can you cause your own birth to occur, especially from above? What can you do? How much can you do to make that happen? How can you cause it? Well, I'm going to tell you, you cannot. You can't. That's all you can't. Heaven must come to you. You hear what I'm saying? He must come to you. And ladies and gentlemen, that's the whole point of Jesus' life. Heaven came to us. Jesus' whole purpose is to bring heaven to us. And therefore, in him, we can be born again. That's what he's saying, born from above. Jesus' point is all your best efforts are never going to offset your sin. If you hear nothing else I say today, ladies and gentlemen, all of your best efforts will never offset your sin. That's what Jesus is saying, not me, because you must be born from above. You have a nature that is polluted with sin. 
And you might be real good. You might be doing real good things, but you still know at some point you're going to screw up again. Because there's something in you, in your nature. And what he's saying is you need a new nature completely. Give you some verses. 2 Corinthians 5.17. You probably know this. Paul wrote that if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Completely. You're a whole new creation. The old's passed away. The new has come. He's saying you're a new nature. You're not the same nature you used to be. Paul also said in Titus 3.5, Jesus has saved us. Not because of works done by us in our righteousness. Not because of all the good things that we've done or all the right things we've done or all the faithful things we've done. But he saved us according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. That regeneration is to be born again. It's the same word, regeneration, born again. We're born. He calls us to be born again. First Peter 1, 3. Peter wrote this, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It's an act of God, a total act of God. What role did you play in your birth, physical birth? I'm not trying to be weird, but you didn't play any role in it. Just so you know, you had nothing to do with it. Uh, it was totally up to your parents. And he's saying the same thing is true from God. But Nicodemus, man, he's like, say, what? Like, he's so confused. What are you talking about? What? But he's still curious. So look what he says in verse 4. He didn't go, man, you're crazy, dude, and walk away. He's still curious. So verse 4, he says, Nicodemus said, How can a man be born when he's old? Because Nicodemus surely is an older man, considering his role uh, in society there. Can he enter a second time into his mother's room and be born? So can he physically go back into his mama and come back out again? He's almost mocking him a little, but he's just confused. And Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he can't enter the kingdom. Listen, he said that twice. Can't enter the kingdom. Now, that to us is not... we, we. That's an easy thing for us to kind of flush over. But for the Jewish people, that was huge. That's all they want is the kingdom of God. That's what they're living for. The Messiah would bring that kingdom, conquer Rome, conquer all their enemies, make them rulers of the world. They they want that kingdom of God so bad. And this is a ruler of the Jews. You know he was looking forward to it. And Jesus said, none of you can go into it. Unless one thing occurs, and he describes it in two ways, with the water and the spirit. And what he's doing is he's pointing again to scripture. And this is one that the Pharisees should for sure know very well, and that Jesus came to fulfill. And if you've been here for a little while, we talked about it months ago, as we were coming through this whole story of God. In Ezekiel chapter 36, you can make a note of it. Ezekiel 36 verse 25, there's a prophecy 500 years plus before Jesus. And he wrote, I will sprinkle God talking to his people. I'll sprinkle clean water on you. You shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you. Look at the I wills. I will. I will. God speaking. Verse 26. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. So we've got water, spirit, both. I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. That's what Jesus is pointing at. Unless that occurs in your life, Nick, you ain't getting in, bro. Not you or anybody else. If that doesn't occur in your life, you're not getting in. 
And, and, and Nicodemus should have recognized, as soon as he said water and the Spirit, Nicodemus should have recognized he's talking about that verse. That verse is what it means to be born again. It's something God does. Verse 6, back in John 3. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, Jesus says, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. What he's saying is, again, you need a new nature. Your flesh is the man or woman in you. And, and it's sinful. Sin only produces sin. Flesh is flesh. It's going to produce death. That's all it does. But the Spirit is God's Spirit. And the Spirit produces life because that's what the Spirit does. Your nature has to be changed. Again, in John 6, verse 63, you can make a note. Jesus said here, it's the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. Just look at that a second. It's the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. That means that the flesh is going to do you no favors. No, your best, your best work your best efforts, your best ability is going to help you in no way. The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life. Same thing he's saying, my words are life. Back in John chapter 3, back with Nicodemus in the dark, wherever they are. Don't marvel that I said to you, you must be born again, Nick. I'm adding a little bit here. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. What he's saying is you may not see it, but you know it's there. And it's not something you can control either. The Spirit breathes life, breathes births, births people, gives life to people. And you can see that. You can see when God wrecks somebody, man, and fills them with this Holy Spirit and changes them entirely. You can see that. But you, don't, you can't determine where that comes from or where it's going. Look at verse 9. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? What, how is this even possible? And Jesus is maybe a bit frustrated now. And he's saying, really, dude? You, you're a teacher of the Jews? You're a teacher of the Jews and you don't know these things? You don't understand these things? Like, I really have to break this down for you, Nicodemus? Like, I get it for some folks, but you're supposed to be the man. You got the book memorized. You understand, to be a Pharisee, you had to memorize, some, some argue, the entire Old Testament. They didn't have the New Testament yet, so the entire Old Testament. Because you had to decide the laws. You had to know the laws. You had to govern the laws. At the very least, you most certainly had to have had the first books, first five books memorized for sure. Because those are the books of law. I mean, just imagine that. Memorizing all those just to be in the position you're in besides all the other things that you're going to be doing. So here he is, like, you know all this, and you're asking these questions? It's kind of dangerous, actually. A lot of times we can do the same thing. We can get into theology. We can study the Bible, right? We can know the Bible. We can know uh, all the good things that we say about God. We can have fluffy little words and I call them bumpers, Christian bumper stickers or whatever else, and talk about God. Or we can have a seminary degree and be deep in it and know him better than anything, or know his word better than anybody else, and we can quote all these verses back at you, but we can still miss them. If you don't realize that the whole thing is about a person, and you're not that person, you can miss them. And, and, and he's looking for a math problem here. Jesus, explain the math, because the math sure ain't adding up here. And Jesus is like, it's not a math problem, man. It's a person. It's me. It's a relationship. It's me. He goes on, verse 11. Jesus says, truly I say to you, we speak of what we know. Well, he's saying we, 
There's some de- debate about who the we is. I think it's him in the spirit. Some say it's him in scripture, but he's been talking about the spirit moving and going. And I think God, Jesus is associating himself with the spirit here. And he's saying, I am the spirit. We speak for what we know and bear witness to what we've seen, but you don't receive our testimony. He says this, if I told you earthly things and you don't believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one's ever ascended to heaven except he who came from heaven. The son of man, that's a title he uses for himself. So what he's saying is only he has complete access to heaven. So only he can truly tell you what he say. You want to get there? You want to see the kingdom of heaven? I've been there. I came from there. I'm the only one presently in your face that came from there. Nobody's gone up except me. So he's the only one with access. He says in verse There he goes on and he says, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Now, Jesus referred here with Moses to Numbers 21 when God sent, you can go back and read it in your own time, but God sent poisonous snakes among the Israelites because they were rebelling against him in, in, in a lack of faith. And God had Moses create this bronze snake, uh, just like the snakes that were biting them and killing them, and put it up on a pole, and anyone who came to that pole and looked at that pole would be healed. Sounds ridiculous, but that's the point. Faith. You're doubting me. Death is coming into the world, so here's your opportunity to prove your faith in me and put a pole and a snake on it. You think that's silly? Fine. The snake, take, you, you could stay in your sin and death. Or you can come look at this pole and put your faith in God. The parallel and the whole point and the reason Jesus is bringing it up is because Jesus is going to go to a cross. He's going to be raised up on a cross just as the snake, which pictured judgment and death, was also, by faith, able to bring life. Jesus is going to do the same thing. He is going to be raised up on that cross bearing our judgment, bearing our wrath, bearing our punishment. And we, by faith, look upon him on the cross, put our faith in him, and we find life. That's what he's bringing up here. Now, verse 16, we'll we'll come to the finish here. Or start down the hill. Verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave. The word gave is unfortunately simple in our language. Uh, and it's the idea that I have a piece of candy. I'm going to give it to you. Or maybe I'm real generous and I have a car and I'm going to give it to you. That's not what he's saying. You could probably put it in there as offered in the sense of sacrifice. He's talking about giving a sacrifice What happened to sacrifices at the temple? That's that's what he's talking about. He gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Again, that's the second time in two, two verses he said eternal life. But keep in mind, hey, keep in mind, listen to me. A dead man can't save anybody. A dead man cannot defeat death. How is a dead man who can't defeat death going to help you do it? So what I'm coming to here is, yes, you put your faith in the cross, but not the cross alone. A lot of people died on crosses. There were two that died on crosses right beside him. A lot of people died on crosses. That's not enough. His death alone offers no hope. But if he's able to defeat death, well, that changes everything. That changes everything. But the only way to display that power is to face death. 
How else are you going to beat it unless you go face it? He has to face it. Romans 10, 9 says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. I love that word raised. It's it's this picture of eternal life, but not just going on. Oh, I know, man, we just go on to what's next or we just float like ghosts. That's not what it means. Jesus said, rise, I will rise what it means is to physically take your life back from death. The word that he's using when Jesus says it, and the same idea here, is that he physically took his life back from death. And guess what? We got the same hope. Not to be ghosts floating around out there like spirits in the other world or whatever else. He promises us a new body. I'm not going to go all into that. Now you can read that. Paul talks a lot about it. But not because we must have a, bo- a new body, but because he me- he's restoring things. He designed us for a body from the beginning. Go back and read it. He created Adam and Eve. He gave them a body. And they were perfect. And they were sinless. And he was proud of it, God was. God said, it's good. So in the restoration of all things, the part of that is a bodily resurrection, just defeating death. You're like, well, I don't want this busted body again. Good, you're not going to get this one. This one's dead. The old one has passed away. You are a new creation. Again, Christ here, though, is when he talks about, or God, when he talks about, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And it's wild because the only son is saying these words uh, about God. Again, Christ is pointing to Scripture again. And he's pointing back to two places. One, Genesis chapter 22. Read it in your own time. He's pointing back to Genesis chapter 22, thousands of years beforehand, when God called Abraham to offer his only son, Isaac. God told Abraham, bring your only son, Isaac, and offer him to me. Abraham obeyed, and at the very last moment, God intervened and provided a lamb as a substitute instead. But God's son, here, has no substitute. He dies for us. He's also pointing back to the Passover and how the Jews celebrate the exodus, their exodus from Egypt every year and how the blood of the lamb covered their doors when they came out of Egypt. Um, we're, they're celebrating it now. It's Passover week. So they go by dates, not by, not by um, so it's not by day of the week. It's by the dates and they occurred, like we do December 25th for Christmas or whatever. It's not Sunday, it's the dates. But in any event, they're celebrating Passover right now, remembering it too. And Jesus is pointing back to that. John, uh, in chapter 1 of John, verse 29, write it down. Jesus is walking towards John, who is the guy who baptizes him, and family to him. And John says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That means the sacrifice of God, God's sacrificial lamb. So when God gave his only son, he's pointing to Abraham who brought his only son. He's pointing to giving sacrificially his offering, his lamb. That's who this Jesus is. And what's crazy is the same mountain that Abraham went on with his son is the same mountain that these Jews celebrate Passover on every year, including the year we're in now. If they're really devout, every year, same one, and it's the same one where God would raise his lamb, his only son, on a cross. The exact same mountain. Because 
And if you miss nothing else, this is the key. Because for God so loved. Loved. Verse 17, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. He gave him and now he sent him. It's two different things. He's an offering and he's also sent on a mission. The mission's a rescue mission. POWs, folks. It's a rescue mission, man. It's a, it's a mission to save. And the mission's not just about power and superior force. And we're not building this massive army to invade. And we're not flexing our muscles with gun power, gun, guns and tanks and planes and whatever power we need. And we're not claiming that, hey, all of heaven's forces are behind me and all the angels and whatnot and all this. It's not about that. It requires one thing. Love. Like, unbelievable love. Almost insane love. We have a word for that. We call it grace. It's when love goes past explanation. That's what he needed. And his love is for the world. That means everybody sitting here. That means everybody who drives by. Every time a car goes by, it's another one. Loves for God so loved the world. And if you think I'm wrong, even those who hated him. Think about that a minute. Even those who hated him, Luke 23, he's on the cross. Luke 23, verse 33, Jesus is on the cross. This is when they came to the place that is called the skull. There they crucified Jesus and the criminals, one on right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. You don't get more bold love than that. I can't do that. I'm going to not lie to you. I don't know what it would take to make me able to say that, and I sure don't want to find out. I mean, if he loved them, you think he doesn't love the people that drive by, the people that are at the grocery store, the people that are sitting in here, the people on Salt River over there, Rez, where we pray all the time? You think he doesn't love all of Tempe and Phoenix? think he doesn't love Arizona? I mean, obviously I can keep going. Romans 5, 7 says, For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, one might even dare to die if they're a really good person. But God shows his love for us. Yet us, you ought to write your name. God shows his love for Dave. In that while Dave was still a sinner, Christ died for Dave. Not, not when Dave woke up and figured it out. When Dave was still a sinner... He didn't say, okay, listen, I'm going to do you a solid, but you've got to do me one first. He didn't say that. While I was still a sinner, he, he died for me. Verse 18, last one. Whoever believes in him, Jesus talking of himself, whoever believes in him, you could say in me, Jesus saying, is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Listen, when you face God one day, uh, there's no way in out the good and the bad. I know society and, uh, and some other faiths love to push that. It's not true, at least not from the Bible. There's no way in out the good and the bad because it's issues already decided. You got a mistaken view here. The issues already decided. Jesus didn't come to offer a way. He came to provide the way because we're condemned already. It's already done. It's faith in his work alone. Either he's judged for you on that cross Or you remain condemned and certain that you can do it yourself. 
There's no neutral here that we're going to weigh out at the finish point. That's not the case. He says only son there two times. Only son. Two different times right there. Point is, there's nobody else to look for. If the son of God is not good enough for you, I'm sorry. Like, what else could you possibly want? There is no one else to look for. And ladies and gentlemen, he is God. That's why there's no one else to look for. John 1, you can read it in your own time. He makes that clear. The Greeks and the Romans, the people there among here, believed in many gods. So do numerous faiths today believe in many gods. But Jesus is the only son, yes, but not a junior God. He's not little junior junior God with God the daddy and he's God the baby. He's God the son. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit together are one, yet they're acting completely uniquely. Guess what? I can't explain that, so if you're ready for me to do that, I'm sorry. It's not going to happen. But I also don't know how Saturn doesn't collide with the nearest planet beside it and five other planets too. And I don't know how you can look out here and see 500 billion planets or whatever they are out in the universe with these. I, I, don't, I can't do any of that, much less speak that into existence. So it's perfectly okay That God can be a little over my head to understand. You know what I'm saying? It's perfectly okay. The point here is, though I can't explain it, I believe it. That's the point. I completely believe it. Whoever believes in the name, the identity in who Christ is. A few more verses and we're done here. John 14, 6. Write it down. I, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now that one's quoted frequently. He's the only way. But look at verse 7. If you known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. Jesus is telling them, you are looking at the Father. He repeatedly said, I and the Father are one. I and the Father are one. I and the Father are one. Here he's saying to see me is to see him. John six forty seven. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me has eternal life. Already. You already got it. It's already yours. John five twenty four. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life right now. He doesn't come into judgment. Because he's already passed from death to life. It's already happened. Jesus will judge for you. John 6.40 For this is the will of my Father, Jesus says, that everyone who looks on the Son, him, and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Now, just for closure's sake, Nicodemus ultimately believed. And I'm not going to go there. You can look it up. It's in the end. But Nicodemus goes and requests, as still, still very much a Pharisee, goes and requests alongside of another guy for Jesus' body after his death on the cross in order to bury him with some dignity and not as a Roman criminal. Even Jesus' own disciples were not there for that. But that was Friday. That was Friday, right? Sunday, Jesus proved that he had eternal life to give us. He proved 
that all of this talk about if you believe in me, you can have eternal life. You can believe in me and have eternal life. You don't have to wait till you die to find that out because he proved it. Three days later, he rose from that grave. He proved it. Today's Easter. We celebrate the fact that Jesus rose, that Jesus is alive again. Still, that's what we celebrate today. And besides scriptures, there's a lot of reasons to believe it. I'll go into it all some other time with you, but I mean, there were Roman guards placed there. The grave was sealed. If you think the the uh, disciples stole the body, they'd have had to overpower Rome to do it and break a Roman seal to do it, which is wild considering they were hiding for their lives the, that same night. Where'd they get the boldness to go do that? And yet some say, well, they stole the body. Okay, so they knew it was a lie. But are you telling me that they turned right back around? All of them were martyred for their faith. All of them suffered and died bad going back out and preaching that Jesus is who he says he is and that Jesus is alive. Nobody's going to do that if you knew you hid the body over here. You're not going to torture me and kill me if I know the body's right over here. It's not going to happen. But these guys became powerful about speaking the truth. 500 witnesses at one point in time. Paul says you can go. He said you could go ask them. 500 people saw him at one time. You can go ask them because most of them are still alive. That's what Paul said. I don't know what y'all know about the criminal judgment system, but it only takes one eyewitness to do you in. Two, you're in real trouble. And I know something about that, just for the record. 500, man. 500. 500, and history is literally altered by it. Last verse, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? That's the question. Do you believe this? If you guys will stand up with me for a minute. Close your eyes, uh, not to be dramatic, but just to kind of take a few minutes. I do it too. I'm right here with you. And rule out the... The noise and kind of set out the the other things going on and, and, and whatever it is you come in here with and things that are on your mind, not trying to be pushy or weird or anything, but it's a good opportunity to just shut everything out a minute and think. Think on what you've just heard. And I don't know, maybe you think you're okay. Maybe you think you're pretty good and you've got it covered, but is that true? The world's already condemned. And I think we all know that because death is everywhere. You watch the news, it'll make you sick in a minute. But you don't even have to watch the news. We walk around seeing it. And if you're not trusting Christ for your salvation, then you're standing condemned and assuming that you got it all figured out and you can, you can work it out yourself. But Jesus didn't come to make a deal or negotiate. He didn't come to see what your thoughts and possibilities were. It's a rescue mission to save you from the grave. Do you believe he conquered that grave? 2,000 years later, do you think this is all just a show year after year? Do you believe he conquered that grave? Do you believe he can deliver you from it? He said, because I live, you also will live. Putting your faith in Christ is easy. You just tell him. 
You admit who you are. I know I'm part of this condemned world. I know it. I might do good things, but I just wrestle and I always mess up and I'm sick of messing up. You say it however you want. It's between you and him. I, I, I believe in who you are. I can't explain how Father, Son, and Spirit are somehow different in one. I can't, but, but I just, I, I believe in my heart is true. I trust Jesus that you are God. I trust Jesus that you are exactly who you say you are. I don't understand every detail, but I trust it. And I trust that I'll never be good enough, but what you did is. That that cross and that grave were for me. You tell him if that's you. However you want. And in the next few minutes, you can come tell me or Josh or anybody or tell us before you go. We want to know because we want to celebrate with you. Lord, again, your word is amazing. Thank you for the privilege of being in it tonight. Today, tonight. Lord, I pray that you change lives today, mine especially, and those that, that are here with me. Thank you for the privilege of worshiping with other people. That I don't have to just hover over a book in a back corner. That I can come here, Lord, and, and, and spend this time with other people who love you and want to hear from you. Lord, I pray that you change lives today. Not for me, not for this church, but for your glory. That you're glorified for decades to come by what you've done in the lives of people today. When we ask you in Christ's name, amen.